Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 7 of Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to be reading verses 3 through 5. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, God has already created the substance which will eventually be formed into our present heaven and earth. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then God's spirit moved upon the face of the waters. And now it's still the first day and God is taking it a step further. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Now, first of all, why don't we talk about God seeing the light, or as it says here, God saw the light, that it was good. At least seven times in Genesis chapter 1, we'll read that God saw something after he created it. For instance, in uh, verse 10, and God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And also in verse 12, And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And actually, at the very conclusion of the chapter, the last verse, verse 31, It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So God creates, and then he sees what he created, and he recognizes at that point it was good, and we'll talk about that when we get to those kinds of statements in this chapter, but it's a recognition that it is without sin. This is a good thing, a holy thing. It's a pure thing. There's no sin. And yet sometimes later on, after man falls into sin and God pronounces a curse upon the creation, God will also make statements that he saw certain things. For instance, in Genesis chapter 6, we read in verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great, in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So here, God also sees what is taking place in the world, but at this point, he's seeing evil. There's no pronouncement that it is good in any way, but rather it's the opposite. It's only evil continually as God looks upon the hearts of men. And this fits in with what we know from other parts of the Bible. 
For instance, in Hebrews 4, verse 13, it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It is simply the nature of God to see everything, to know everything, to comprehend all things. And it's true of this world from the very beginning, from the very first day of creation, actually from the very first moment of creation, God saw. He saw what he made, and at that time, for a short while, he could pronounce it good. First day, the things God made were good, the second, the third. So there was a good week in the history of the world. We're, we're certain of that. There was a time when all was good. There was no sin of any kind. And that's God's report. When he looked out and saw, he saw goodness. Later on, not too much later, in the days right before the flood, he looks out and saw only evil continually in the hearts of men. And of course, that's been the condition of mankind ever since, and God has seen man's wickedness up until our very day. He, he doesn't miss anything. He sees everything. And God first spoke. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. It is the first declaration from God on his creation, the thing that he had made, and it started off good. Now, one thing that really strikes us as we read that God spoke here in Genesis 1 and created light is that we understand light today to be identified and associated with the sun. And the moon reflects the light of the sun, and also the stars give some light at night in the night sky. We identify light with the celestial bodies of the sun, moon, and stars. And yet, this is day one, and it will not be until the fourth day that God creates the sun, moon, and stars. But he has already created light. And we wonder, well, how could God do that? How could he create light without the sun? Doesn't the sun give the light that the world experiences today? And the answer is yes. Well, how could God have created light first before the sun? And the answer is that he did. It's a fact. This is how he began his creation. He first created light. And scientists, even today, recognize that light has substance. That light is made up of photons and light waves. And they can measure these things. And they realize it has substance. Well, what the Bible is declaring is that God created light. He created a substance called light before he attached it to light bearers. 
in a few days, on the fourth day, he would create the celestial bodies, and then God would attach the light. He would somehow tie it to the sun and to the moon and to the stars from that day forward. And always from that point on, light would be completely identified with the sun, moon, and stars. And it's how God determined to do it. And it's not difficult for God. He is God. And God first created light, then created the sun, moon, and stars a little while later. Now, why would God do this? Why would he start with the creation of light? Well, perhaps an answer could be with the spiritual meaning of light. As we saw, darkness relates to sin. It relates to the judgment of God upon sin. And and so God began the creation, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. That is, he's looking ahead to mankind's sin and their need of salvation. And yet before the world began, God had already worked out a plan of salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ was already the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and he was already the day, as the Bible calls him. This is the day that God has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in him. He is the light that forms the basis of the day of salvation. And Christ has already died and risen from the dead to be declared the Son of God. And as the Son, he spoke and created the worlds. He created the earth. He created the heavens. He created all things. And he did it by already making payment for sins. That's how he could be called the Son via or through the resurrection of the dead. And so here, interestingly enough, God has developed a salvation program where the light, who is Christ, God ties light with salvation in many places. For instance, let's look at Psalm 27, verse 1. Jehovah is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? We know in Isaiah 9, verse 2, they that sat in darkness saw a great light. And that was a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ as he would later enter into the world. Or, uh, we looked at this a couple of times, so let's go to John 1. And we see, as God speaks of the Word being in the beginning, and the Word was God, it says in verse 3, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And also, we saw the verse in our last study in Second Corinthians 4, verse 6, where God ties the idea of light shining in darkness to the salvation in Christ. It says in that verse, For God, 
who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Psalm 80, and, and its references to cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. We, we see in many places where God relates light to salvation. Well, according to the Bible, Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That means he took the sins of his elect upon himself, died for those sins, and thereby guaranteed the salvation of each one that he died for. It's a certain thing. It's absolute. God died in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ for these people. Their sins were paid for. They are now forgiven all sins and, and they receive eternal life. And so we have the light of salvation before the world begins. And then later, what will come as God creates the world and And here we're in the first day where God is just starting to create and then he'll finish his creation. And then time will start to unfold. The Garden of Eden will be set aside and God will give instructions to Adam and then Eve and sin will come. And then the word of God is given to man. And just like God first created light and then later created light bearers and attached the light to the light bearers, so too, spiritually, God first creates the light of salvation or makes it through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus and his successful conquering of death by rising from the dead and then Later, God will attach the light to the Word of God, the Bible. He'll attach the light to the Scriptures, to the Word in which the Bible says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The light has already existed before the world was, but now in time, in history, God ties that salvation light to his word and also ties it to the person of the Lord Jesus who will later in time and later in history enter into the world and he will be called the light of the world. Well, the light has already existed from the beginning. The works were finished from the foundation of the world. Yet at a later point, then Jesus enters in. He's born of the Virgin Mary, and uh, he takes upon himself a human nature, and he walks amongst men, and God ties the light to the person of the Lord Jesus, and, and all he does is to show forth. It's to manifest, and that's what the Bible says light is able to do. In Ephesians chapter 5, I'll start reading in verse 11 because it has an interesting statement about darkness, and have no fellowship 
with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. There again is another verse tying light to salvation, rising from the dead, and Christ gives light. But notice verse 13 of Ephesians 5, Whatsoever does make manifest is light. And what was the purpose for Jesus to enter into the world and to show forth, to demonstrate the things that he had done from the foundation in being the lamb slain at that point? Well, the Bible says it was to make manifest that he had died for the sins of his people that he had made payment already. And what what makes manifest is light. He now is a light bearer. God has tied the light to the person of the Lord Jesus, although the light previously existed. You see, it is actually a wonderful picture. It's a beautiful illustration of what God has done spiritually. We know that the Bible does call the Word of God light um, in some places. Psalm 119 and verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so both the Word of God is the light bearer and Christ, when he comes uh, uh, and enters into the world, is a light bearer. They are light bearers that come after the light has already existed. The light that was there at the very beginning. The light that enabled God to have an immediate salvation program at the ready as soon as Adam and Eve sinned. Now, we don't know if uh, Adam or Eve became saved. The Bible doesn't give us that information. We do know that one of their children, Abel, was a child of God because the Bible says he was righteous Abel. And we know that Cain was not. Uh, Cain slew his brother in an unrighteous way. And there's no evidence Cain was saved. But right from the beginning, early on, did Jesus go to the crosses yet? No, he would not go to the cross until uh, over 11,000 years later. Now, just just think of that. Here we are in day one, in 11,013 B.C., according to the biblical calendar of history that uh, we'll probably be spending a good deal of time with, Lord willing, in later chapters, but the biblical calendar is accurate, and we're going to review and make sure that we understand it correctly, and, you know, we review everything in the Bible. Election is accurate, but if we come across a verse dealing with election, we review it. And the biblical calendar says God created, and the things we're reading in Genesis 1, 
um, were taking place in 1113 B.C., before Christ. And Jesus would be born in 7 B.C. of the Virgin Mary. And therefore, creation was 11,006 years before Jesus would be born. And that's a long period of time. We feel it's been very long since the time of Christ until today, because Jesus was born in 7 B.C., and we're in the year 2015 A.D., and that is uh, the way we come to an accurate date. We add the, the year B.C. to our present year, 7 plus 2015, it's 2022, minus 1, due to there being no year zero, 2,021 years ago, Jesus was born. And we uh, would say that's a long time ago. Well, 11,006 years before Christ would be born from creation. 11,006 years is over five times the length of Christ's birth until our present day. Imagine going 2,021 years and then doing it again. 2,021 more years, five times. And... Then you come to the birth of Christ. Well, that's what the Old Testament saints were looking towards. They were looking to the coming Messiah. And and yet uh, there are many that fight against the idea that, that Christ made payment for sin at the foundation of the world. They insist, and they they really insist and demand, he had to die for sin, in 33 A.D. Well, that would even be longer than 7 B.C. That that would be, let's see, 11,013 plus 33 is 11,046 minus 1, 11,045 years before Jesus would go to the cross and make payment for sin. And what about all the saints for 11,045 years and their sins? How were their sins managed? How did God deal with the sins of Abel and the sins of Noah? And, and that is, how did God forgive them? How did God grant Noah grace in the eyes of the Lord? Well, we, we understand it's through, it can only be through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, but according to them, Jesus would not perform that work for over 11,045 years. Where is the payment for sin? Where is the blood that must be spilled? The life is in the blood. And God says in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 9, It says in verse 20, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God has enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. 
That is a key statement. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. You know, there, uh, I used to have a seminary professor who actually said when asked uh, how the Old Testament saints were saved, he said they were saved by trusting in the sacrifices as they pointed ahead to the day when Christ would would shed his blood on the cross. He actually said that. And, and yet God says in the Bible, in the next chapter of Hebrews, in Hebrews 10, he says in verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So we can be sure that no sacrifice, not from the very beginning, no animal sacrifice in in the days of Abel or Cain or in the days of Noah or at any point in the Old Testament when they offered the blood of animals. No animal sacrifice ever took away their sin. And the Bible says without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Not the blood of animals. That doesn't qualify. That That isn't even in view. It must be the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the only wise God, the only Savior, Jehovah. God's name for being the Savior. I, Jehovah, I only am Savior. And there is none other. And it must be that blood that must be shed in order for there to be the potential for remission of sins. And if you have not the shed blood of Christ, there can be no remission of sins. That's a a biblical matter of fact. That is what the Bible says. You cannot have remission of sins without the shedding of blood. Well, those that insist upon 33 AD would say, well, in principle, in principle, God knew that Jesus would come because Jesus is God. It was a guaranteed thing. It was a certain thing. And therefore, it was as though he had died and shed his blood, making it available to the Old Testament saints. Please show us where it says in Hebrews 10 that without remission of sins, there is no shedding of blood in principle. Where is that statement made? It's the same thing they say of Revelation 13, verse 8, that Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. They say, in principle. And it's not found there. It it, it is a changing of the Word of God. It's a theological statement that they're making because what they're believing does not fit the Bible. It does not fit the available biblical evidence. It is not a matter of in principle. It's a matter of definite, clear biblical statements. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Therefore, making his blood available right from the beginning, right from the start. You know, we have no problem, do we? God's elect who believe what the Bible says on this subject, we have no problem. Sure, 
Jesus died and his blood was available and could be applied to the saints immediately. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.